Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with TheLeanZone.com. Today, we're with Mike Desiato. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well, Alex. How are you? Good. Um, so today, we're not going to talk about the PPP because everyone has been talking about the PPP. We're going to talk about the CARES Act and nine things that people need to know about uh, that are in the CARES Act that are valuable too, um, just like the PPP. So before we get into it, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background? Sure, thank you, Alex. Uh, Mike Desiato, I'm a tax partner with the accounting firm of Cherry Beckert. Uh, Cherry Beckert's a top 25 accounting firm. And I, I hate to admit this now, but uh, I've been in public accounting for over 40 years. So I, I feel, feel, feel old, but uh, I have been doing it that long. And most of the time, and in that in that span of time, I spent a lot of time uh, working with and consulting with uh, contractors in South Florida. Um, and uh, so, hopefully, and and thank you, Alex, for the opportunity today to talk about some of these these issues that I think are germane to those in the construction industry. All right, so let's get right into it. Right, so we're okay. going to talk about nine things that. Uh, a construction company should be aware of with respect to the CARES Act beyond uh, PPP. So let's run through them real quick and then sure. we'll go over them one by one. So it's relief under existing SBA loans that's uh, available to them, deferral of employment taxes, employee mm -hmm. retention payroll credits, mm -hmm. early withdrawal from retirement plans, um, recovery rebates, modification of limitation of losses for owners of pass-through entities, that's S-Corps and LLCs. Right. Changes to the net operating loss rules. Right. Changes to the limitations on the deductibility of business interest expenses. And finally, changes to depreciation of qualified improvement property. That's a lot of stuff there. Yep. We're not, we, we could probably spend a day talking about all of that but we're, we're going to try to get this done in half an hour. Okay. So the goal is let's talk about them one by one, but at a high level so everyone understands whether it even applies to them. And if it does, they'll definitely need to get some more information. So okay. let's start with number one, relief under existing SBA loans. What does the CARES Act tell us um, is an available remedy for us? Well, if you do have an existing SBA loan uh, in place, not not a PPP loan, but an existing SBA loan, there are there are um, deferrals as to uh, the payment of interest and penalties. So there is there is payment relief and deferral with regard to those loans if you have them. Um, the other thing I would mention too, and not not to talk about, I won't say that the PPP word <laughs> again, <laughs> but. There is something else that's available. The Federal Reserve actually authorized something called Main Street New Loans. All right, there's a Main Street New Loan facility that's been authorized by the feds. And that's for people, uh, and that's for employers who are up to 10,000 employees uh, and have their principal operations located in the United States. So this is another loan program. It's not a PPP program. It's a new loan program. It's called, again, Main Street New Loan Facility. And it's not a forgivable loan. It's a four-year four loan um, with a minimum loan size of a million dollars. So, um, you know, reach out to your bankers uh, and see if you could tap into this because this is something else that's out there. Because um, as we discussed, Alex, before we came on here, you know, the PPP loan program and the EIDL loan program, they're all tapped out. Correct. So, um, so hopefully 
you know, something will be done in the next few days at, at the congressional level uh, for more funding for those loans. So, uh, but right now they're tapped out and, and we're telling our clients, um, if you want one of those loans, you know, go ahead and apply for them, get, get in line because hopefully there'll be more funding for them. So that's all we'll talk about with regard to PPP and, and SBA uh, options. But uh, I think the Let's next- Let's talk about the deferral of employment taxes. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that's that's pretty significant. Um, and what we're talking about here is the employer share of the of the payroll taxes, not not the employee money. It's the employer's 6.2 percent share of the FICA base. The uh, under under the bill, um, the uh, the government is going to allow a two year deferral of the payment of those payroll taxes. And, and it relates to payroll paid from March 27th of 2020 until the end of 2020. But those payroll taxes can be deferred and paid in two 50% increments. Half, half of it's due by the end of 2021 and the other half by the end of 2022. So, so that that could be a significant cash flow, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah. reserver. That's, the other thing too is like, there's a lot of money that can be deferred. You're not forgiven, it's, for, it's prefer, uh, deferred. Now, if you get a PPP loan, there is an interplay between PPP and this provision. And what happens if you get a PPP loan and that loan is forgiven, once the loan is forgiven, all those deferred payroll taxes become due. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there is integration there. There is there's a tie in. But even though you've gotten a PPP loan, you still can use this deferral up until the time your loan is forgiven. So based on, you know, what, what we see, you know, you, you have you have eight weeks for that loan forgiveness period to work out. And then you got to apply for forgiveness, which is probably going to take another month or two. So you, you could have at least four or five months of good payroll tax deferral there. So so keep that in mind. And we're telling people and most people do use payroll companies. Your payroll company should be aware of this. So you got to reach out to them to make sure that they're helping you take advantage of it. Let's talk about the next one, number three, employee retention payroll credits. Okay, this is a this is better than a deferral. This is an actual credit, right? So uh, a credit is different than a deferral. It's really a reduction in your tax. So this credit at a very high level, it's a credit against, again, the employer share of the payroll taxes, and it's equal to 50% of qualified wages up to $10,000 per employee. So if you do the math, it's, five, it's a $5,000 credit on eligible payroll for each employee for any wages paid after March 12th to through the end of this year. And again, qualified wages for this purpose include uh, your healthcare costs that you pay on behalf of employees, um, but it doesn't include any of the uh, sick leave or the extended family leave that was required under the Families First uh, Coronavirus Response Act that was enacted earlier this year because there are separate credits for those for those types of wages. So it, it's a $5,000 credit. Uh, and of course, not of course, but you also be, need to be aware of the fact that even though you use a payroll company or a PEO, uh, you know, those wages that they pay on your behalf do qualify. Now, who qualifies for this? All right, so it's not every employer. It, it, it basically, you have to fall, fall into one or two buckets. The first bucket is if your company's operations were fully or partially suspended, all right, due to the COVID-19 uh, situation uh, as mandated by a government order, okay? So that may not be the case here in construction for South Florida because I think the, the sites are still open, open and running, right? Yeah, so, almost, no, almost all of our clients are still They're operating. But there is another bucket you can fall into to get this credit, and that's a gross receipts test. 
So if your gross receipts in a quarter in 2020 are less than 50% of what they were for the prior quarter in the prior year, 2019, so you have a more than 50% decline in your gross receipts, that's that will get you uh, the credit. So you have a, a diminution of, of volume. Uh, so so that's another way you can qualify for this credit. And then that that um, that gross receipts test will go away once you get up to 80 percent again of your gross receipts for the prior year. So there's again, there's two ways you can get there uh, in our in our area here is probably going to be that 50 percent gross receipts test. And again, um, not again, but it's important to keep in mind that when you do that computation, you have to look at all control entities. Uh, in the group, you just can't do it on a per entity basis. So if you have many companies on the common control, you got to aggregate them. And, and the reason why you have to do this aggregation too is there's there's two different ways of calculating the credit uh, based on employee count. So if you have employees, if you're uh, a, an employer with a hundred or fewer employees, then you get the credit on any wages paid to your employee. Uh, no matter whether they work or not, they could be furloughed, uh, they could be idle, uh, well, they could be working. All those wages will count uh, for this credit. Unfortunately, uh, if you have more than 100 employees, uh, the credit is only applicable to wages paid to those folks who are not performing services. Okay, so I don't know why they did this, but they made this they made this distinction, and you know it is what it is. Um, and again, it's it's the it's the the credit is against the employer's share of the payroll taxes, and you and once you qualify for it, you could obviously reduce your required payroll tax deposits, which is great for saving your cash flow. And right. the big caveat, a lot, a, lot, a lot more a lot more hoops here. You got to jump through. Right, right. right. You got to qualify. You got to make sure you you know you, you you qualify for it. The other the other bad the other caveat here is if you get a PPP loan, you don't get this credit. Mm. So there's no, there's no, you can't uh, get double benefits here. And now the question has come up and it's raised, it's been raised to me, which is better? Should I get the PPP loan or should I take the credit? Okay. Because you can't have both. But, you know, when we model this out, uh, it almost always works out that it's better to get the PPP loan because most of that PPP loan will be forgiven. So, sure. yeah, so, so, so there, 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 there was that question initially, which should I go for? But in almost all the cases we have seen, it's much better to get the PPP loan than the uh, this employer credit. Well, with with PPP running out, this isn't a bad second if you fall into those categories. Right, and if it if you can't get into it, yes, you're right. Right, exactly right. You, this is another uh, this is another way to monetize and save some money. So let's talk about number four: early withdrawal from retirement plans um, and participant loans. Yeah, so this is another interesting little aspect of the CARES Act tax rules, tax legislation in the CARES Act. Uh, probably not given a lot of attention because everyone's been focused on these these loans and these payroll tax credits. But you know, if if you're if you're a person um, who's been affected affected by COVID nineteen, if your spouse has been affected by it, kids, uh, or if you suffer a financial impact due to quarantining, furloughing, laying off, reduced hours. Uh, you you not qualify for this benefit, and what this benefit is is essentially you can go into your, your IRA account, your four hundred one k account, uh, and pull out a distribution of up to a hundred thousand dollars without being subject to the early penalty, that ten percent early withdrawal penalty. Okay, so you can go in there assuming that the you know the the plan allows you to do this. 
Uh, you can go in there and take up to $100,000 out, no 10% penalty. The tax on that $100,000 will be spread out over three years, ratably over three years. But there's a, the, the big provision here is that if, however, you put all that money back that you took out within three years, then there's no tax at all. Okay, so if you take it out, you use it, and you put it all back within three years, there's zero tax. So it's something that I think people should keep in mind as another source of funding. If they run out or if they need some, some cash, uh, this is a way of tapping into these uh, 401ks or IRAs, getting the money out. As long as you put it back in, it's like an interest-free loan, um, you won't pay any tax. So I just want to make sure people are aware of that other safety valve. Um, the other thing, too, if th those same individuals, if they don't want to pull it all out and pay and, and put it all back in, uh, they can also borrow up to $100,000 from their IRA or 401k. And that's an interest that's an interest bearing uh, obligation. So they're going to have to pay it back with interest. But that's also something they could tap into if they need to. And also if they have an existing loan from an IRA or, or a 401k that they're making payments on, um, there's also a delay. The government's going to allow a delay in making any payments for the balance of this year. So you don't have to make any repayments on those loans. So again, this is kind of a, I, I want to bring it up because I think it's interesting because I think it's another source of funding if you, you're in a pinch and you need, you know, up to a hundred thousand bucks and, you know, right. and you have it, and for, it's sitting there in your retirement and account, it's sitting uh, there and to it's available it. to you and it's non-taxable right. to you. Uh, you know, it's something that I think people ought to be aware of. Um, let's talk about recovery rebates. Number five. Sure. All right. Everybody's talking. This is a hot topic, right? It's all over the news. Um, so the CARES Act is sending everyone a rebate, right? Almost everyone is assuming that you uh, qualify for it. Sure. So the rebates essentially twelve hundred dollars if you're single, twenty four hundred dollars if you're married, and if you have a qualifying child, it's another five hundred dollars. Qualifying child is a kid under the age of eight to seventeen, uh, but the rebates get phased out. So if you're single and you have no children, uh, if your adjusted gross income is over ninety nine thousand dollars, you don't get a rebate. If you're married, filing jointly, and you have no children, and your AGI is over $198,000, you're not going to get a check, right? So just be, be, be careful of that because everybody thinks they're going to get something, but it's really driven by your income. Um, so when the IRS is issuing these refunds now, they're looking at the latest tax information they have available to them, right? So if you if you haven't filed your 19 return, they're going to look at your 18 return. Your, your 2018 return to make this determination, right? So, um, so they're going to do. They're going to use the most recent information that they have. Now, what's interesting here is, is that because of that, because of that, if you are, if you haven't filed your um, your 2019 return yet, uh, they're going to use 18's return. But sometimes, if your 19's income would qualify you, but your 18 income would not. You know, people are rushing to get their 19 returns filed. On the on the other side, if they if they file their 19 returns and they would get kicked out because they have too much income, they're holding back on filing their 19 returns and they're using they're having the IRS use their 18 returns. So it's kind of a which return gives you the best option, and, and they're they're going with that. Um, the other thing to notice about this and remember about this, this credit is an advanced credit. So what that means is when you file your 2020 return, you're going to really calculate what you should have gotten. And if you are shorted, you're going to get a refund. What's interesting is that if you got too much of a, of a, of a rebate, you don't have to give it back. 
So, so that's, that's, that's really taxpayer friendly. And the IRS has a website that you can go to to sign up to have it direct deposited into your account if, if you so want to. So, so that's kind of the story on, on the, the rebates. Interesting. So number six, modification of limitation on losses for owners of pastor entities, S-Corps and LLCs. What's right. that about? So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So back uh, when the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was put in place at the end of 17, what it said was if you're the owner of a pass-through entity, S-Corporation or LLC, right. uh, there was a, they, they put a limitation on the amount of pass-through losses you could take on your return as an owner. And that limitation was a half a million dollars if you were married or 250 if you weren't. And so what, what was what, what basically what that did was it said, look, you can only use up to half a million dollars of those losses uh, against your other income. And your other income would be salaries, wages, salaries, interest, dividends, capital gains. You can only use a half million of it. You can't you can't use more than that. So that limited your ability to take these losses. Uh, what the CARES Act did uh, was it, uh, it, it it basically for, for the years and it's retroactive going back to 18 and into 2020, it removes that half million dollar, $250,000 limitation. So now if you had those losses in prior years or this year's uh, this year, you can use them uh, in, in their entirety. So the takeaway here is that if you got limited, if you were limited in 18 because of this rule, go back and look at that 18 return and amend it. Uh, and if you can amend it, that'd be great uh, because. Um, well, the, you, this you, is pretty amazing, right? So you can now yeah. go back in time. You can go back loss. in time and amend it and get a refund if you if you right. pay too much. And um, the other thing that could happen, too, is you may create a net operating loss for yourself in that year. And we'll talk about net operating losses is kind of a good segue for the next topic. Now, those net operating losses are right. now being now you're able to carry those losses back five years. Whereas before there was no carry back. Okay. So that's an opportunity for people to look at. Look at your 18 return. If you're limited, go back and amend it. Take the full amount of loss. Maybe you'll get a refund. If you create a net operating loss because of the because of the removal of this limitation, you can now carry that loss back for five, up to five, go back five years and get more refund money. So it's something that people ought to, if you were limited, to take a look at and, and see if you have that situation. So yeah, it kind right, of segues right well entity, in. What's that? The right entity. This could be a lot of money. It could be. It could be a lot of money. Um, and again, going back, let's talk. It's kind of, kind of segues into the next topic, which is NOLs. So what, what the CARES Act did was it, uh, it, it made two changes to the NOL, NOL rules. One was with regard to the carrybacks rules and one was with regard to the taxable income limitation. So with regard to the carryback rules, any NOL incurred in the years 18 through 2020 can now be carried back five years, which, which previously there was no carryback. Okay. Right. So this is a way of taking losses and monetizing them. Uh, of course, you can elect not to carry it back if you, if you so desire. But, you know, that's that's an individual case by case decision. Uh, the other thing, too, is that now when you carry these losses back, there was a the limit on the amount of income you can offset. It was limited to 80 percent of your income. That 80 percent limitation um, has been removed. So what we're telling people to do, our clients, is to, you know, go back and, and look at this year, 19. When I say this year, I'm sorry. When you look at your 19 return, which you haven't necessarily filed yet, or even look back at 18. And if is there anything we can do to increase or increase a loss or you know, in those years? Because if we can, then we can we can carry those those losses back. So 
to kind of bring it to to the you know in, into the area of const a construction company, uh, you know, one of the things a contractor could do is they, they could they could reexamine their accounting methods with regard to their contracts. You know, right. most of them are using percentage of completion, uh, but there are met other methods they could elect to use other than POC or percentage of completion. And, you know, we're telling our clients, hey, take a look at these options. You may be able to defer some of that income or, or, or change your methods of accounting for 19's returns and 2020. 18 is too late. Uh, but if you could do that and, and you could generate a loss because of the accounting method change, you now can take that loss, carry it back and, and get a refund. So there, there's some opportunities there that uh, people ought to be uh, aware of. Right. It's, it's, it's definitely worth exploring to determine if it works for you um, correct because now the rules of the game have changed now you got to see how that applies to you absolutely right uh, and you know one of the things that we did at the end uh, for some of our clients that were small enough because there was a rule in the tax cut and jobs act that said if your average annual gross receipts were under 26 million dollars if you were a contractor uh, you could you could elect to convert your accounting method from percentage of completion to either cash or complete a contract. So we did that for a number of clients. So what happened was now they they deferred the recognition of income until they finished the job or they collected their money, and that reduced the amount of their income. So that's a if you're small enough, you could you could that's an automatic accounting method change too. So that's something you could still do for 2019 if you haven't filed your return. That may create that may create a loss for you in, in 2009, tax loss for you in 19, which will be great because now you can carry it back and get some money. Right. All right, let's go to number eight. Changes to the limitations on the deductibility of business interest expenses. Yeah, this was another rule that, that was introduced by the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And basically it was a limitation on the amount of interest expense that an entity could deduct. And the limitation was 30% of the entity's EBITDA which is interest earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. So there was a cap on the amount of interest you could deduct, 30% of your EBITDA. Uh, there was an exception if you were under $26 million of gross receipts, this rule didn't apply. So if you were over $26 million of gross receipts, you had to deal with this issue. Um, so um, that was that was the limitation. And anything that you couldn't deduct, you can carry it forward and then you it would go into the next year's calculation. Now, what the CARES Act did here is it raised that 30% to 50%. So now the, the cap has been moved to 50% uh, for all entities other than partnerships. Okay, so they didn't shot, they didn't mess with partnerships. They, they're really talking here about S corporations. And so what this could do for you in 19, so the change is for 19 and 20. So they, they didn't make it retroactive. They made it for 19 and 20. They increased the 30 to 50, and it gives you more room to deduct more interest. Now, uh, the other good thing it did was for you, for the year 2020, they're saying that the rule says uh, instead of using your 2020 EBITDA to calculate your limit, you can use your 19 EBITDA. OK, so, for example, if you are a contractor um, that had EBITDA of eight million dollars in 2019, which would give them a four million a cap of four million dollars on the interest deduction. And let's assume the contractor in 2020 lost money, had zero EBITDA. Okay. Well, this rule says, well, we're still going to allow you to deduct four million dollars of interest because you can use your 2019 EBITDA for this calculation. So that's a favorable thing because now you can deduct that interest, create a loss, an NOL, and carry it back. 
So so there there's there's some interesting opportunities there with the relaxation of this uh, 30% of EBITDA calculation. Very interesting. Let's talk about the last one. Number nine, changes to depreciation of qualified improvement property. What yeah, is this? This was it. This was a tech. This was this is this was sometimes called the retail glitch. OK, in the papers, in the financial press, because it was a technical drafting error made when they enacted the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And what they what they what the error, the error that they they created or they had was that this qualified improvement property was not defined as such so that it qualified for immediate 100 percent bonus depreciation. So they, they, they wrote the rule and they made a mistake. OK, they kind of carved it out of the 100 percent bonus calc. All right. So it was, everyone knew it was a mistake. All right. But they didn't fix it. Now they fixed it. So so the question that comes up is, well, what is qualified improvement property? Do I have any of that stuff? All right. Well, qualified improvement property is essentially non-residential, non-residential real estate improvements. OK, to an interior portion of a building, tenant improvements, leasehold improvements. Uh, that and the building has to have been already placed in service all right so these are not improvements going into a building as it's being built this is someone moving into an office building and, and just tearing out and building their own tenant improvements or, or tenant uh, leasehold improvements so right. those kinds of expenditures if you had them in 18 you had to depreciate them over a 39 year life they were not eligible for bonus because of this glitch this technical glitch well the cares act said no that was a mistake Retroactive to 2018, you're now allowed to do that. You can take immediate bonus. So there's an opportunity there. You got to look at, did you have this in 18? If And if you did, you can go back. You have two options. You can go back and amend that 18 return and take 100% bonus for those items, which could give you a refund or create a loss, which you now can carry back five years. Or if you didn't file your 19 return yet and you don't want to go back and amend 18's return, some people don't necessarily want to amend returns. Uh, there is a there is a way you can now take it on your 19 return. You can catch up and, and get that 100 percent bonus on your 19 return instead of going back and amending 18's return. And that, too, could generate refunds or losses that could be carried back. So that's something uh, we we're telling people to look at. Look at your depreciation schedules. You know, uh, if you have any of this stuff, it's great now. You can immediately write it off. So what seems, you know, if we, if we kind of look at this in an overview perspective, right, it seems like what Congress did is they sprinkled lots of different savings uh, all over the business and personal uh, economy in a way that, while the PPP is very direct, very focused, um, this applies to lots of different people and lots of different scenarios. And you have to hunt for it, meaning you know you have to talk to a tax advisor to see how it applies to you. And if it does, it could be sizable, right, Mike? Well, yeah, it could be. Um, we're looking at opportunities now. I mean, we're we're we're, go, we're doing data scans <laughs> of our client bases to see if any of them. Going back to the last topic, this qualified improvement property, we look at their depreciation schedules. Anything that was put in service in 18 that is described as leasehold improvements or tenant improvements, and it looks like we took straight line 39 years on it, we know, hey, we can go back 
get a hundred percent deduction for those items. Let's go back I mean, and amend that, those. That returns. by itself is is huge for for a company that spends you know pick a number a million dollars two million three million dollars on a tenant improvement. I mean it does. That's that's a that's an immediate deduction. Correct. And as I said, as I said, that could generate not only will it reduce your income for the prior year and get you money back, but if it generates a loss, that will get you money back because now you can carry that loss back for five years. So yeah. Um, so Mike, if people had questions, uh, follow-up questions, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you? Well, the best way uh, in today's world is email. So with that said, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my email address. It's mdesiato, it's M-D-E-S-I-A-T-O at cbh.com. Right. Um, that's probably well, the most effective way. I'll put uh, a link to your biography in the show notes so anyone can Okay. Go to the show notes and uh, click and get right to your uh, web page. Um, Mike, I really want to thank you for taking the time to explain the nuances here beyond the PPP of the CARES Act. I'm sure we'll be talking again. Thanks, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Alex.